0: I want to give all the ladies an invitation from me personally, but I want the men to listen up because I'll get frustrated with you if I find out you weren't for this.
1: And you don't want that.
0: (laughs) I want to know you and I want you to know me, but more importantly, I want all of us to know each other. I don't want us to come in and walk out and feel like you never got to meet all these wonderful people. And the way I wanna do that is to make our large group smaller. And so I wanna to get together with all the ladies, all the girls, all the females, whatever category you best find yourself in. And I'll tell you this, we went to the youth meeting Wednesday night and we, all the girls gathered around and prayed for me. And it was just, that whole moment was just really powerful, and I'm super proud of our young people. And I just want to tell you guys, you guys are awesome. We're so thankful for you, really, really. Kevin and Jennifer are really raising up some strong prayer warriors, and they're not messing around. I mean, they gathered around us, and they meant to call on God for us, and it was just really meaningful but I invited all our teenagers, all the female teenagers, and as I was saying that, I realized I need to bring Haley with me, my little Haley, she's only six, but I want her to see the women of our church. And I told our young adults, our students, I said, you know what, if you want the ladies' events of CPC to look like your generation, then your generation needs to come. And that, I wanna say that all the way up to our eldest in this room, we want you to be there. You have wisdom to share. You have grace and patience to offer us and to teach us and to help raise up our ladies to be wonderful women of God. So it's February 19th. I really want all the dads in the house to keep up with the kids that night. Just send your wife out and take care of the kiddos if you can. Ladies, if you have a husband that works like the night shift or he's going to be gone on the road, then we want to help with that. And if you're a single mom, then absolutely, we want to help you with that as well. Bring the kids, and we're going to help take care of them. But dads, if you can, please do your part. Keep up with the kiddos so we can really minister to the moms who don't have assistance at home. So February 19th, 7 to about 8.30-ish. And if we're having lots of fun, we'll just stay later and have a good time. But I want you to come. I want to know you. I want you to get to know me, but I want us to
1: get to know each other. Okay? So dads, by the way, that's not called babysitting, it's called parenting. (laughs) There, last I checked, they're half of you, so uh, anyways, we'll have a good time with my kiddos. I don't think, I, I don't know if I got the picture, we added to our family yesterday. Some of you saw this on Facebook, yes, we added a furry one, six weeks old, Siberian husky. And what a C.S. Lewis fan's name, a dog, but Aslan. So, it is Aslan. Uh, so, she's lots of fun. However, last night, did feel like we had a newborn again. Every few hours. Is it your turn or my turn? It's your turn. Okay, I gotta go. I gotta go. But I'm glad. I'm glad that she's not uh, going to the bathroom in the house. So, I will happily take her outside so it's not there. Uh, but yeah, so we're glad. Our kids are excited. Um, so, it's, it's, it's fun to have that addition. So, on that February 19th, it'll be... We three and the dog. Um, it'll be a fun time. I'm looking forward to it. You know, I love, I love movies. I love movies that deal with fearless lead characters. Uh, they're fascinating, engaging, entertaining to watch. It's really probably one of my favorite, favorite venues. Characters, in particular, who fearlessly give of themselves for the benefit of others. Uh, and those aren't just Christian movies. Those are, I mean, Gladiator, Braveheart, all these. These guys fearlessly gave of themselves to help others. I want to live this way. I want to live a fearless life. Shelley shared last week from our experiences in Sudan. But before we ever arrived there, we had to sell all we had. We sold our house, our cars, our, our furniture, our wedding gifts, I guess. You know, that was part of what we had. Uh, but fearlessly did that to follow him, to follow the Lord into the great unknown. And by doing this, as we talked about, by losing everything we had, that Philippians 3, what Paul was hoping to accomplish... By giving generously of our lives to the Sudanese people, the the people in Jerusalem, we found the ultimate delight in knowing and experiencing Jesus. So that's what we want to lead in in this series of living like it matters, living like Jesus matters. You know what the problem is? It seems our human default is to not live fearlessly, but instead to live fearfully. When we were asked to come here, very naturally, fear crept in. We'd been doing what we'd been doing for about 10 years, and so we were comfortable, even though we were living in interesting places, we still had a system in place for health insurance, and, you know, we knew what life, you know, day-to-day kind of looked like for us, for the most part. So as we considered coming here, those questions start to creep in. Well, what about health insurance? We've got three kids. How will our kids do in, in school? Will God take care of us if we're not living overseas? Apparently He can. Crazy questions. Shelly and I know that God has all these things covered. He's on the throne, but somehow fear creeps in if you're not careful. So, do you struggle with fear? Do you have concerns about your future, the future of your kids? Maybe who's going to be elected president? Will I be affected by terrorist activities? Just watch the news a little while and all kinds of thoughts can flood your brain. And although I think it's normal to have that. It's it's a human reaction. The Bible tells us what we see from God is he does not intend us to live that way. We're not meant to live in fear. So here's what I want us to grasp this morning. A life that matters is spent fearlessly living for the kingdom of God. To help us understand this today, I want us to read through what's a very familiar passage. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, you can turn with me to the 23rd Psalm. You don't have your Bible we've got some in the rows in front of you or or in the seat that you're sitting in we even added some large print Bibles because if you've grabbed one of those ones you see that they're kind of tiny we felt like the youth would have no problems reading them maybe others might but feel free to grab a Bible the 23rd Psalm maybe you've memorized this Psalm many people have David writes it's attributed to him the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a beautiful passage. Fearlessly living for the kingdom of God is better than living for this kingdom of the world because Jesus provides for our every need. Jesus as our good shepherd, he keeps watch over us, providing for our every need. We see in John 10, 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And he can be trusted. This morning in our time of worship, a word was was shared with Deanne, and I felt like it applied here. The word was this, asking who you are or what you do. What matters more? Which one counts? Which one defines? Is it who you are or is it what you do? Because that's defined by our good shepherd, by the way. Who I am or what I do, which one defines you? hear now the words of the lord what i do comes from who i am who you are is far more important than what you do do you understand that and that needs to be defined in your identity and who jesus is the the person continued that you know god promises that he'll give a word and that word is for you and the the word really is that god loves you that is who he is the question in return is do you love him What will you do today in acknowledgement of that? If you know your good shepherd loves you, how is that going to define the way you live? So, Jesus, our good shepherd. Our deepest security is found in the Lord, who is my shepherd, not in the security forces or military might of our country. God cares for each sheep. Sheep are naturally a part of a flock, but what this passage tells us is that Jesus, our good shepherd, he is my shepherd. It's so personal. I talked in our prayer week that we pray to God, our Father. He's our Father. But yet this passage is very personal. The Lord, my shepherd. The Lord is your shepherd. As our good shepherd, Jesus provides us with rest. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. This phrase, when you look at it, it initially sounds very forceful, unless you understand how to shepherd sheep. Do we have any... Sheep herders. Does that take place in Indiana? I really have no idea. I didn't research that. Do we have some sheep herders here? No? I can't imagine. I haven't really seen sheep here. Well, they're all over in the Middle East, of course. So this is, when you research what it means for a sheep to lie down, here's what you find out. Sheep will only lie down when they have had plenty to eat, have quenched their thirst, and are not threatened by any wild animal or disturbed by any biting insects. In other words, you can't force that sheep to lay down. You can only get that sheep to lay down if you take care of their needs. Jesus settles you down, provides you with rest for your soul by providing for your basic needs. If you have found it difficult finding a balance between spouse, church, work, and personal time, you're not alone. Jesus invites you to draw close to him and discover true rest. This happens when you take time to pray, which is simply having a conversation with him. When you read the Bible, you you come to church so that you can devote dedicated time to him. Your Sabbath rest, Jesus says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath, it's found in him. It's more than just a day. Your Sabbath is also a person. So he makes me lie down in green pastures. But as our good shepherd, Jesus provides us with guidance. He leads me beside still waters. He leads me in paths of righteousness. The good shepherd leads his sheep. He does not drive them. We were uh, not far from Jerusalem, sitting on a hill. We were actually in uh, the valley of Elah where David fought Goliath. And some sheep were all of a sudden coming all upon us. But we found the shepherd in the rear because he was driving his sheep. But a good shepherd leads his sheep from the front. But here's what's important. That can only happen if the shepherd walks slowly ahead, singing his own unique call. In other words, you need to know the shepherd's voice. The sheep are attracted to the voice of the shepherd, which they know and are eager to follow. The line, he restores my soul, can also be translated, he brings me back, he causes me to repent. Jesus will lead you besides to waters. He will show you the right way to go he will lead you back from a path of destruction to one of life but only if you're willing to follow so i ask you can you recognize the good shepherd's voice are you following jesus or are you trying to go down your own path i encourage you allow jesus to lead you to the path that leads to life as our good shepherd jesus gives us courage Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why can we fear no evil while walking with Jesus through the valley of the shadow of death? I ask that question. Why? Who is Jesus? Hopefully, the Son of God, right? It's not a trick question. I know sometimes you think pastors trickiness. tricking us. I'm not trying to trick you. I promise. We can walk and have no fear because Jesus is the Son of God, He sits at the right hand of the Father. If there's no one better to follow than him, the world generates fear, especially if you're glued to your TV. Fear of failure, fear of disease, fear of your future, fear of terrorists, fear of death. We have Jesus. What do we have to fear? Now, if you don't have Jesus, I encourage you, fear. But let that fear drive you to him. Shortly after we moved to to Sudan, we were involved in a minor car accident with our truck. I loved our truck. Toyota Hilux. See, they don't make them here. It's like a Toyota Tacoma. So we'd only been there a couple of months, going through an intersection, truck plowed into us. So, it's long story short, I wound up in jail because of it. But let me ask you this question. I don't think I should have been there. If you're driving down, you know, a two-lane paved road... And you've got a two lane dirt road crossing its path. Who do you think has the right of way? Which one? What do you think? Paved road or dirt road? Paved road. Guess which road I was on? Paved road. So I had the right of way. Well, turns out the law in Sudan is whoever's traveling north has the right of way. Okay, Sudan, everything's brown, all the buildings are brown. I mean, unless you can, like, read the sun to know where is north. How do you know where north is? I mean, now, I will tell you, I shortly thereafter invested in a compass to stick on my truck. So I resolved that issue. Well, it turns out that other guy was going north. So I was at blame for this traffic accident. So Nate was one. He was, he was behind us. Shelly was in the front seat. I mean, it didn't really cause much damage, so it wasn't that big of an issue. But I was guilty. So I got stuck in Sudanese jail. Um, you know, it's always funny when they do those background checks. They ask, have you ever been in prison? I always feel like, are they meaning America prison or Sudan prison? Um, I have to ask that question of the background checker, you know. Of course, then they start looking at you like, what do you mean? Um, so I was sitting there. I knew there was no way out of it. My Arabic was not very good. We'd only been in Sudan a couple of months. And, uh, but I just began to pray and I got in in touch with my colleagues. What they wanted is, they wanted to know that if my car insurance didn't pay, that somehow this guy's truck would be taken care of. I had car insurance, it wasn't an issue. So someone had to come and sign as an advocate, a a national from Sudan. So that was what I was waiting on. Um, But it was getting late, and it was hours and hours and hours. And so I just began to pray. And the Lord brings such peace in those moments. And I just began to think, you know what, God? I can't wait to see how you get me out of this one. Um, And sure enough, he did. I uh, didn't have to stay overnight. I was thankful for that. You know, the reason we have no issue, Shelley and I, the reason we had no issue living and working in interesting places like Sudan and East Jerusalem, is because in the end we knew where our trust could lie. Our trust was in the Good Shepherd. Our trust was in Jesus. And not that we thought that we were invincible. I didn't think that at all. But really, when we consider, and you're going to feel like I'm crazy, and that's okay. But what's the worst that could happen? I'm going to address that seriously. What's the worst that could happen? We, our lives are ended? We're killed? We need to think about that in terms of like briar rabbit. Oh no, please, please don't send me to heaven. Whatever you do, don't send me there. We really need to think about that. But you know, if Jesus isn't your treasure, you really don't desire that. Now, I don't, I don't desire death. I don't care to be a martyr. I worked with a guy who wanted to be a martyr, which I don't necessarily recommend that. You ride around in the truck and feel like, this guy wants to be a martyr. I don't know that I want to be with him, you know? Um, So I'm still in good relationship with him, but I don't ride in trucks with him anymore. Um, So it's not that we desire death, but I never allowed a fear of death to grip me because I know where my treasure lies. I know who stands at the end of that. You know, we we approach dark valleys with confidence. We can do that just wondering, well, Jesus, I wonder how you're going to lead me out of this one. Because he's sure to do it. That flock didn't stay in the valley of the shadow of death. If you notice, they came through on the other side. This flock didn't remain there. And Jesus carries a big stick. You maybe didn't know that. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I've heard somebody talk on this passage, and they talked about how the rod and the staff, they refer to the correction of Jesus. Mm, and That's only maybe partially true. The staff, yes, it is for guiding the sheep, taking them out of crevices if they fall in it. But the rod was a two and a half foot stick that had metal pieces jammed in the end and it was used to take out anything that might harm the sheep. When David says he, he would strike down bears and lions, this is what he's referring to. He's not referring to a slingshot. He's talking about a big stick that he could whack an animal with and take it out. So, in case you didn't know, Jesus carries a big stick. The rod's a weapon. Sheep have no defenses. The sheep's only security is The shepherd. So guess what? Jesus is enough. He's enough of a security for me. So I ask you, are you living in fear? Do you have a fear of failure? Of illness? Of your future? Of losing your job? Or of death? Your good shepherd is with you. Don't lose sight of that. He will walk with you through life's dark valleys. As our good shepherd, Jesus gives us joy. He prepares a table before me, anoints my head with oil, my cup overflows. Oil in scripture speaks of the Holy Spirit and of gladness. One of the greatest signs that God is involved in the the experiences of your life is an abiding sense of joy. And there's a difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is dependent upon what's happening in your life. It's based on circumstances. Joy is centered on God and who he is and what he means in your life. It's a deep-seated satisfaction and trust in your good shepherd. The good shepherd, the one preparing the table, he's also the good host, abundantly providing for you. So are you living joyfully or do you have a joyless faith in God? Trust God and consider how he has given you an overflowing cup of provision in your life. Find your ultimate satisfaction in the relationship you have with him. As our good shepherd, Jesus grants us mercy. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me, the psalmist writes. Grace is getting what you do not deserve, and mercy is not getting what you do deserve. No one is perfect, and God looks on us with compassion. Undeservedly, he grants us great mercy. Again, going back to that love of God. Because of our evil nature, we deserve divine wrath. But by becoming a follower of Jesus, God gives us his goodness and mercy. Have you made a decision to follow Jesus? If not, you're living outside of the goodness and mercy of God, and God does not desire for you to live there. Make a decision today to follow Jesus and experience his love. As our good shepherd, Jesus provides life eternally. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This psalm begins with the Lord, the Lord my shepherd, and it ends with the Lord forever. A rich and satisfying life with God never ends. Death becomes a bridge, not a barrier. In this lifetime, you can only experience the beginning of your relationship with the Lord. Right now, you experience an element of rest and renewal, an element of joy, an element of mercy. But one day, we experience it in all of its fullness. Now, you do have the option to live in one of two tents in this lifetime, either one of content or the tent of discontent. With the Lord as your shepherd, you can live in the right tent. Without the good shepherd, there is a natural sense of lacking something, an ongoing frustration with life. But follow the Lord as your shepherd, and you shall not be in want of rest, of guidance, of courage, of joy, of mercy and eternal life. So I encourage you, choose the life of contentment offered by our Good Shepherd, Jesus. You know, as our Good Shepherd, Jesus provides for our every need, enabling us to live generously. Fearlessly living for the kingdom of God is better than living for the kingdom of this world because generosity changes lives. The value of life is often measured by how much of it has been given away. Think about it. When you attend a funeral, what is celebrated? Generosity and selflessness. We never celebrate accumulation, what somebody owns. We rarely celebrate awards that a person has earned. Generosity and selflessness make our lives bigger and they make our lives more valuable. And with the Lord as our shepherd, providing for our every need, we can live fearlessly, which means we can live generously. The believers in the book of Acts, they were fearless and generous. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John, they were put in jail, brought before a religious council, and threatened, and then they were let go. When they reported what had happened to the other believers in Jerusalem, they got together, they prayed for boldness. The place where they were gathered together was shaken. They were all refilled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word with boldness. And picking up in Acts 4.32, this is also what happened. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. No one said that any of the things that belonged to them was his own, but they had everything in common. So, part of that fearless living, that, that life of being bold, was living in generosity. Jesus taught his followers to live generously. Let me say this this point shouldn't be considered easy or should be. In this context, um, Shelly and I were talking about the sermon and talking about the fact that we knew we were looking at fearless and living generously. Um, Shelly and I have encountered nothing but generous, generous people. So this sermon should not be convicting, should only be uplifting because you already live this way. You are a church that lives generously. In fact, Shelly said she can't keep up with the thank you cards for all the generosity. Um, So she'll have to figure that out, I guess. You know, the Old Testament, it gives repeated instruction, reporting about a tithe. Pastor Jim talked a little bit about that, that the first 10% of a person's income belongs to the Lord. It's a symbol of what God, that he owns it all, and that we're simply stewards of the blessings in our lives. Uh, When Nate was four, we had visited some friends up in Chicago, uh, some friends that I had grew up with, and the two boys were playing, uh, Noah And so my friend Brent, they were playing, of course, they're four, so they kind of were battling back and forth a little bit, and and Noah got upset because Nate had taken his truck. And so my friend asked Noah, said, Noah, whose truck is that? And Noah, at age four, he says, it's God's. I tell you, that left an impression upon me, because I don't think I had raised Nate to consider things in that way. He, at the age of four, had taught his son that God owns it all. May we be teaching our kids that way, but may we also realize that ourselves. Jesus reinforces this view on tithing when you look at Matthew 23, 23. He says, What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Here's what he says. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. So tithing, yes, but don't forget justice, mercy, and faith. He affirms the tithe. And then in Luke 8, He says, soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, Joanna, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. So we see that tithing is still encouraged, but Jesus always takes things to the next level. You see that all throughout the New Testament. So we come to Mark 12. Jesus is sitting near a collection box in the temple. I'm sure many of you are familiar with this story. He watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has to live on. I have some of these widow's mites, smaller than a penny, seems like they're made of clay, worth very, very little. Jesus, in this passage, what he does is he he affirms, you know, he sees people giving to the house of God, so he says, yes, that's good, but how should we be giving? When you look at Jesus, when he affirms, what he says is, I have not come to abolish the law, but to live it out. He always takes things further. He says, when he talks about adultery, he says, you heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery, but I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery. He always takes things to the next level because New Testament believers, they live lives according to the generosity of God and the way that things have been lived out. Now, I had mentioned in a former message that there's a series of seven questions I ask before I I speak. One of those is, am I worried about what people think of my message or what God thinks? And this question ensures that I teach with fear. One of the other questions is, have I applied this message to my own life? And this question always ensures that I teach with integrity. One of the first things Shelley and I did as we were preparing to come to the church is establish a family budget before arrival. So we use an app called Every Dollar from Dave Ramsey. If you haven't set up a budget, I'd encourage it. What we like about this is it syncs between our phones and our computer. And what I really like about this budget is he is a Christian guy, if you don't know Dave Ramsey, and he lives... Uh, biblically in the way that he feels like we honor God in all things, which includes our finances. And so the top line items are those items which we do in the way of living generous lives for the kingdom, giving to the church. So we tithe, uh, our tithe, because we're ministers, it, it goes to the Indiana district. But then we don't restrict ourselves to tithe because we believe in that New Testament living of living generous lives. So we include in our budget opportunities to support overseas ministries, overseas ministers to support the church missions fund, ways that we can live and help above and beyond because we feel like we're meant to live generous lives. And here's what I would like to encourage you. If you don't plan for it, then it's hard to live for it because you feel that angst of, oh man, I didn't plan for it. So for us, there's great freedom in knowing it's in our budget. We can't wait to see this month what we do because we have planned within our budget the opportunity to give finances away every month. It's an exciting way to live. So if you don't live that way, I encourage you to do it. So are you living fearlessly and generously? If you died today, what would people celebrate about your life? Would generosity and selflessness be talked about? I wanna share a brief video that gives great application of how you can live and give generously. Let's share that video.
2: My wife and I met in college and she's an actuary. um, So she sets the rates that agents charge for insurance. I'm a CPA by trade, I started in public accounting and now have been at Sears uh, Holdings Corporation for 13 years.
3: So we both have been blessed to be in careers where we're able to make a good living and we've been able to take some really amazing steps in our journey as a result.
2: Our pastor talked about an individual who had a gift for Uh, generating a lot of income and he had capped himself at a certain point and as additional funds came in he just gave them away.
3: When he gave to the church he gave so generously that a lot of his friends and family told him that he was crazy and so he asked Bill to just remind him every now and then that he wasn't crazy for giving to the level that he gives.
2: That was something that my wife and I really resonated with so we just began our journey of really looking at our resources as something that truly wasn't ours and and how could we manage them well and be able to give more of them.
3: We're trying to figure things out, what what it was going to look like for us, so we decided that we wanted to live simply to cap what we were spending each month and to be able to give freely beyond that whenever a need arose.
2: So we have managed our finances in a way that we could pay off our house, we can pay off our cars.
3: We cut cable, we cut our home phone line, we've just simplified things.
2: A lot of people ask us, why don't you get your new car, why don't you get a bigger house, and and it's created some great conversations that we can say, you know, we, we don't need bigger, we don't need newer. We can. Uh, live off, simply off of what we have and it gives us the ability to give in more freely and to things that God's put on our heart.
3: So every time another dollar comes in beyond what we were already living off of we have the freedom to use it to help other people. So when someone needs help we want people to know that they can come to us and we have the ability to help them and instances have arisen where where friends have, or family have needed help with medical bills and we've been able to help them.
2: Yeah, obviously in this culture, it, the, our kids are bombarded with all kinds of messages of they need this, they need that.
3: And it's hard, because we don't really want to feed into that. We want them to see that they can live differently. One thing that we decided to do this year was to give them $100 to give away. We wanted to see where their heart was, where their passion lied. When we've been out at restaurants, the kids have picked families in the restaurant where we would pick up the tab for their lunch, and they used their $100 that we gave them to be able to give away. We want our kids to see the difference that they can make with their little lives.
2: Definitely by setting a cap and having these resources that we can give, not only does it free us up to listen to God's whisper and to be able to respond more easily, but um, there's been so many uh, amazing instances that had we not made the decision to become debt-free and and give freely, we would have missed out on.
1: So I encourage you, live fearlessly by following our good shepherd with the confidence that he will cover your every need, enabling you to live generously. Uh, now I do, I do struggle actually talking about finances in a church setting because I know there are likely people who are here thinking, there you go, church just wants my money. Uh, but I can tell you that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about in living a generous life. The church is already filled with faithful givers. We pay our bills every month and then some. We have opportunity to bless others outside of these walls because of it. So that's not the issue here. The goal of living generously is not for ourselves, but for others. To ever increase our ability to bless our near neighbors and our global village. We've talked a bit about that. The people who are living outside these walls. Can you imagine what it would look like if we all lived generously? We had a troubled young man stop by the church this last week on Tuesday. He was really kind of at the end of himself, was running from a bad situation, wanted to go back home in northern Indiana. And so it was just such a wonderful thing to know that as he came in, we could examine how are ways that we can help him, and we were able to help get him a bus ticket to travel north. But more than that, to spend hours investing in this young man, took him out to dinner, and as I was walking into the burger place with him, um, he said, Why couldn't I have met people like you a year ago? Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we have opportunity to live generous lives. And it was such an awesome thing to know that because we live in a church of generous people, that we could help him with a bus ticket, put some money in his hand, and I told him. So I actually gave him some instruction on kingdom finances. I said, okay, so here's some finances. I live in the uh, mindset that 10% belongs to the Lord. So what's 10% of this value here? So he told me, and I said, okay, so Sunday, when you go to church, not if you go to church, but when you go to church... You need to drop that in the offer bucket. I think you need to honor God with the finances we're giving you. And then after that, you have not done right by your fiance. So guess where you need to stop on the way home? He didn't have an idea. Said, somewhere where you can get flowers. Oh, okay, I'll, I'll look to do that. And he's got two kids. And I said, you need to pick up something for each one of them. I said, so that's not gonna leave a whole lot for you. He's like, no. And I said, that's right. So it's meant for others. And so he was basically instructed to treat it in that capacity. But what a joy that we as a community, as people come and need help, that we can help them, not only to help them for themselves, but to help them for the sake of others. That's the goal here. So what could our community look like if we lived fearlessly and generously? I can tell you we won't know unless we really try. Living generously is about impacting the community around us and the people around the world to show them the love of Christ. We have ministries that operate out of this church if you're not aware of that. Um, we do that in our own right in ways that we can help, but we also partner with local ministries trying to bless our near neighbors through them as well. One of the ministries in our church that blesses local families is a food pantry. The food pantry is a phenomenal thing. It helped over 500 families last year. We help 8 to 12 families every week that come in on Tuesdays. What is amazing is is because we work with local food organizations, it only costs $6.75 to help one person for an entire week. That's incredible. One person can be fed for a month on less than $30, and a family of four can be helped for $108 for the month. Obviously, this only happens because we're working with local organizations that help us with food. And I mention this because, yes, you could bring in food donations, but we can actually take your dollar and make it spread a lot further than you stopping in Walmart to pick up some macaroni and cheese. So what I'm going to do, because what you're going to find at the end of every message is I don't want us to be hearers of the word. I always want us to be doers of it. That's what we're called to. That's why when we talked about sharing the story of Jesus, what was the response? Write out the names of five people who you can share the story of Jesus with. I don't want you to come and hear. I want you to go and do. So we're going to have opportunity this morning. I'm going to ask the ushers to come. We're going to take an offering this morning to give you opportunity. If you would like to be a part of what's happening in the food pantry, this is a tangible way to do it. While the ushers are coming, I'm also going to invite the DR team, if you're going to the Dominican Republic, if you could come to the front, because there's more than just giving of finances. There's also giving of your time and your talents. and That's exactly what our volunteers for the Dominican Republic team are going to be doing. So living a generous life, it involves giving. It involves giving of your time, your talent, and your treasure. Um, so the DR team, if you could come to the front here, and then Matt is going to share a scripture. So we're going to do a couple of things at once. We're going to take up an offering Cliff, I'm sorry I took your post. I didn't even realize, but I want you prayed for. All right, so ushers, let's go ahead and take a minute and let's take the offering now and then we're gonna pray for our DR team in a minute. So ushers, if you could pass those offering bags, take opportunity today to give generously by being a part of what's happening in our food pantry. And then we're gonna take a minute and share a scripture and pray over this team as well, who are giving generously of their lives as they go and take this trip. So as the offering bucket passes you by, feel free to be a part of that. And then Matt's going to come and share a scripture as the offering. Uh, Buckets are going by.
4: Buenos dias. dias. (laughs) Muy bien. Dios bendiga. We have an outstanding team that is getting ready to leave uh, next Saturday that we want to commission uh, to go to the Dominican Republic. Uh, And what a great message. Live fearlessly. I'm sure there's been some fear that creeps into your your minds when you think about going to a developing country that speaks Spanish and you don't know a whole lot of Spanish, but I promise you we've taught them the most important things they need to know, what time is dinner and where's the bathroom? So they know those things. (laughs) What I I like to do whenever we send a team is uh, read the, the scripture where Barnabas and Saul were sent out as missionaries. It says, uh, it's in Acts 13, uh, verse 2, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. We have 22 people going. Some of them are here, some of them are working with the kids, some of them are at their jobs working today. Um, Twenty going from Lafayette and two, the Cason's the joining us from Orlando. And meeting us down there. And we are going to be going and working with Pastor Miguelina. Who is a Assemblies of God pastor. Who wants to grow the outreach into her community. And, and right now, frankly, she sleeps in her sanctuary. And we're going to be building a Sunday school classroom on the back of, of her church. And, and one of the classrooms will become her little apartment that she'll use. So that she doesn't have to sleep in the sanctuary. Uh, we're going to be... Uh, worshiping and and blessing Mitch and Debbie Martinez, who are the missionaries there that we've worked with before. And uh, we've got a great team. So what I would like to do is ask Pastor Zach. They said they fasted and prayed and they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So if you guys wouldn't mind standing with us and
1: reaching out and praying for our team, I would appreciate it. Lord, we just come together in prayer and we thank you that we have up here standing a group that represents people willing to live fearlessly, to give generously. And God, I pray that you would bless their efforts, their endeavors. I pray, Lord, that you bless the work of their hands as they leave from here and go to the Dominican Republic. I pray that lives would be changed. I pray that lives would be blessed. I pray, Lord, as they serve others and dedicate themselves to that, that people would be drawn into your kingdom. God, we pray that you would advance your kingdom in the lives of this team, and Lord, do it through the lives that they live. We pray that as they go, that they would go in your name, courageously and compassionately, doing your will. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, team. Thanks for being willing to go. And may the Lord bless you and keep you, cause his face to shine upon you, May he grant you his mercy and fill you with his peace. In the name of Jesus, go.